This podcast is recorded in front of a live studio audience at Legend Comics in Omaha, Nebraska. Welcome to the 12th episode of the Two-Headed Nerd for the week of Wednesday, March 30th. My name is Matt Baum, and when I'm not coming up with April Fool's Day pranks to get people pregnant, I'm <laughs> writing about and appraising comics for WorkPoint.com. And I'm Joe Patrick, manager of Legend Comics in Omaha, Nebraska. And when I'm not too busy dodging Matt's phone calls and Xbox party invites, because I'm pretty sure that I'm the talent here and he's just an anchor holding me down. I'm the artist and co-creator of Good Plus Online. That happened all week. It's a true story and it hurt. This week you'll hear reviews of the Jimmy Olsen one-shot and Godzilla number one. We'll tase your britches in the lightning round, take a good look at next week's comics, and answer your nerdy questions. But before we lick all that, smack it and rub it down. Oh no! Let's talk about this week's big news. I'm ready, Slick. Are you? Oh yeah. Take it down. More Superman casting reports this week with the news that Amy Adams will be playing Lois Lane in Zack Snyder's Superman Reimagining. Matt, what's the deal? Is this another case of Hollywood getting the hair color wrong? I, I don't think so. I think Amy Adams is good. Is um, this a Michael Clark Duncan situation? No, it's not. Uh, no, I like Amy Adams. I really liked her in The Fighter, and I think she'll be a good, tough, plucky kind of reporter. And I think all the other Lois Lanes have always been compared to Margot Kidder. And if you go back and like really study Margot Kidder's examination of Lois Lane, she was totally nuts. Like, completely crazy. Yeah. So, But that's how Lois Lane was in the Silver Age. I know. suppose. I'll I throw suppose. myself off Niagara Falls. That'll show them. Bye-bye, baby. As you may or may not know, WonderCon is happening this weekend in San Francisco. Joe and I would rather be broadcasting from there, but we just can't seem to figure out a way to get this show into the black financially. Or I'd settle for, like... Into the purple. Yeah, that'd be fun. Any of those colors would be good. So instead, we're going to react from afar to all the WonderCon headlines. Two major announcements from IDW this week. Both Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles and Anne Rice will be joining the imprint this summer as IDW seems to be moving more and more towards a complete line of licensed properties. No announcements have been made on a creative team for TMNT yet, but the first Anne Rice project is slated to be an adaptation of her novel The Servant of Bones. After that, IDW has hinted at Rice possibly writing new stories. Matt, good news for turtle fans and wannabe vampires? I, I think it is. I think IDW knows what side their bread is buttered on and is doing really well with their licensed properties. And I think they just proved that Hellraiser is still feasible, and that's more than a 20-year-old property. So I don't see why Anne Rice wouldn't blow up here either. That's yeah. Dark Horse was built on licensed properties. Yeah, absolutely. And if IDW you know, is able to build this way to the point where they can be something similar to Dark Horse, but like, more power to them. They're sort of like the complete and polar opposite of Image. I don't like know what that means. All licensed properties where Image is pretty much all creator owned properties. Exactly right. Yeah, but it's working for them. Warner Brothers was kind enough to show WonderCon attendees four minutes of footage from the upcoming Green Lantern film. We've got a link up on our Facebook page if you guys want to check it out. I think I can speak for both of us here when I say awesome. So awesome. Totally awesome. Like was I was the most awesome. I was worried about this movie. Really worried about this movie. Yeah. Based on what I've seen because it looks so kind of silly and campy. And now, I mean, just looking at this, this is full on Green Lantern nerd sci-fi. Yeah. I mean, he's making more than boxing gloves with the ring. Yeah. You see an army of Green Lanterns. There are so many. In space on yeah. Oa. Uh, I was trying my best to pick out specific characters from the books that I I recognized Sinestro is amazing. Yeah. Uh, Parallax looks pretty cool. I mean, we didn't see too much of him. Tomar Ray. Tomar Ray, voiced by Jeffrey Rush. Oh, that just man. happened this week. Man, it's like the King's Speech in space. <laughs> 
I think we can just leave it there. Which would have made the King's Speech even more awesome. (laughs) Warner Brothers has stressed that that's not the trailer. It's just four minutes of select footage, unfinished even, so it should look better than that. And that there will be an official trailer attached to Thor, which comes out in a month. I know. Oh, man. Both Marvel and DC had events to announce at WonderCon. DC head honchos told crowds that they were not allowed to talk about the post-Flashpoint DCU. Because they I, haven't made it up yet. <laughs> I believe the term cone of silence was used. It was, the cone <laughs> of silence. Uh, however, they did announce that Ivan Rice and Joe Prado would be the art team on an upcoming Aquaman ongoing series written by Jeff Johns. Fun. That's great news. Yeah. Also announced DC's Retroactive, which sees creators like Len Wein, William Messner Lobes, Denny O'Neill, Mike W. Barr, and many, many others. <laughs> DC employee for life, Marv Wolfman, <laughs> revisiting storylines from the 70s, 80s, and 90s in a series of 4.99 one-shots with 26 pages of story and 20 pages of reprints. Drawing the line at 4.99. <laughs> Matt, do we care? No, I don't mm-hmm. care. Uh, Aquaman, very cool. But a bunch of one-shots with stories of 70s, 80s, and 90s and a bunch of old creators that I... I mean, I'm sorry, I love some of these guys, but I haven't cared about anything they've done in the last 15, 20 years. Yeah, don't, I, don't I, know care I care about, about this. I care about some of them, like uh, Giffen and DiMatteis, doing Justice League again from the 90s. But, like, it's guys that we haven't heard from in forever, like Marty yeah. Pasco, who yeah. hasn't written comics in decades. Len Wein, who has, and they haven't been great. Oh, Len Wein. And I love you, Len Wein. I hope, you know, you can retire with dignity, buddy. <laughs> but so the idea is that each writer is going to focus on the decade where they did their most popular work. So you'll have uh, Messner Loeb's writing the 90s Wonder Woman one-shot. And uh, Marty Pasco writing the 70s Justice League one-shot. Don't care. That sort of thing. Yeah, again, a great idea, but 18 $5 one-shots. Well, we'll see. We'll see. Over at Marvel, Wolverine writer Jason Aaron revealed this summer's coming X-Event Schism, a five-issue series that pits Wolverine and Cyclops at odds. The story seems to end with the X-Men splitting into two camps, which has ramifications for the entire Marvel U. The art lineup for this one includes Daniel Acuna, Frank Cho, Alan Davis, and Carlos Pacheco, all names that I know we're both excited about. But that wasn't all. Joe Casada announced a new creative team for Secret Avengers. Writer Warren Ellis and artist Jamie McKelvey will be taking over the book after Nick Spencer's four-issue Fear Itself run. Marvel also had previews of the upcoming Red Skull Incarnate miniseries by Incredible Hulk writer Greg Pak and newcomer, well, here we go, Mirko Kolak. Mirko Kolak. And Hulk vs. Dracula by X-Men writer Victor Gishler and uh, preview art for the upcoming Ultimate Spidey cartoon by noted DC animation guru Paul Dini. Now, I'd call this game set and match. I'm saying Marvel won the convention again. Joe? You know, I've been thinking about it, and I think that DC DC seems like they don't have much big news, but I wouldn't want them spoiling their huge event, you know, storylines. Spoiling what huge event? Tell us Flashpoint. something. I'm not saying spoil Flashpoint, but give us something. Marvel didn't spoil anything by telling us who these, like, new exciting creators are and giving us preview images of stuff. But DC's not saying anything about anything. They're not just saying That's we have my no point. news. They're Why saying, come to the convention? We have news, but we can't talk about it. Dumb. That's not news. Eh. I think I think a lot of Marvel stuff sounds like it's a big announcement just by the sheer fact that they're making any announcements at all. Ladies and gentlemen, Joe Patrick, DC apologizing. I know how it sounds. but <laughs> Apologizing for DC. <laughs> Listen, they're really not that bad once you get to know them. <laughs> Rounding out the WonderCon news, 
uh, were announcements by Dark Horse of new Buffy Season 9, which we all knew was coming, and Angel and Faith series, which sounds bizarre. Yeah, boy, do I need a Faith series. Uh, I believe it's an Angel Faith team-up series. Yeah, that's what it looks like. Which, uh, weird. Yeah. Uh, Invincible and Walking Dead writer Robert Kirkman will be working with the infamous Rob Liefeld on a time travel comic called The Infinites at Image. <laughs> Insert uh, joke here. And, and I believe in an interview, Robert Kirkman compared Rob Liefeld to Jack Kirby. Oh, come on. So what? we're just going to leave it there. We're going to leave on. it right there. We're not going to bash on Rob Seriously. Liefeld. He's a really nice guy. I met him. He is a very nice guy. But Jack but, Kirby? Yeah, that's – Kirkman is uh, – that's some Stan Lee-level I hope he was drunk. <laughs> That's the big news for this week. If you'd like to comment on any of these stories or donate sizable sums of money to the Two-Headed Nerd Slush Fund, which will enable us to report on the scene from these conventions, hit us up on our Facebook page, where Matt and I are always picking fights with guys that can't draw feet or noses. Larry Stroman never drew feet or noses, and I love him. And look at him now. Look at him now. Time for reviews, kids. Let's talk about some comics that came out this past Wednesday. Joe, what'd you read this week? I chose the Jimmy Olsen one-shot this week from DC Comics, written by Nick Spencer, with art by R.B. Silva, with special help from Emil Carpina. Wow. Yes. Sorry again, Emil. <laughs> and color... We are so racist. Butchering what? It's not racist to butcher someone's name. Just Colors can't... by Dave McKay. Let's stop talking about We just can't read. <laughs> Jimmy Olsen is taking his breakup with Chloe Sullivan in stride. At least he was able to until he saw her out on the town with his arch nemesis, LexCorp junior executive Sebastian Mallory. <laughs> I think it's just Sebastian. I know. When Chloe starts shadowing Sebastian for a week in the lifestyle story, Jimmy sets out to prove that no one packs more excitement into seven days than Superman's pal. We start off this issue with an excellent flashback paying homage to Jimmy's insane Silver Age heritage. And it, it was insane. Uh, My Time as a Genie by Jimmy Olsen. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it does a really good job setting up the idea that Jimmy's kind of let his life of adventure go by the wayside in in uh, the present day. There is, they do a nice job reacting to current events in Superman. Jimmy's been taking it easy because Superman has started his year-long cross-country walkabout. <laughs> and without Superman in Metropolis, what is a boy adventurer to do? Yeah, we should mention that these first few stories were backups. Yes. Uh, this is actually half reprint, half new. It originally it originally started off as backup stories in Paul Cornell's Action Comics, a companion to his Lex Luthor story. Then DC drew the line at two ninety nine. DC drew the line at two ninety nine. And decided to put out the rest of it as a five ninety nine one shot. There you go. But we're going to talk about the value later. <laughs> so the first half of this book is reprints technically. Uh, but if you weren't reading Paul Cornell's Action Comics, then it's new to you, right? So sure. Spencer does a wonderful job setting up Sebastian Mallory as the nemesis. It takes him three pages. This character is brand new as far as I know. Yeah, I don't think we've ever seen him before. Uh, and even if we have, he hasn't been that fleshed out. No. So three pages is all it takes for you to just straight up hate this guy. We should mention this is the first time we've seen Chloe from Smallville. That's right. Jump the, into the, the long pages awaited, of the long awaited introduction of Smallville's Chloe Sullivan. Man, was I waiting for that <laughs> to DC continuity. God. For the record, I hate Smallville. I hate it. Oh well, and 
wisely, DC makes her a contemporary to Jimmy, not to Superman. Right. Uh, I don't need another character smashed into Superman's origin. No. I'm fine with her in that sense. Yeah, I agree. This – I don't have a ton written down about this comic because every page is great. Uh, there is a, a laugh-out-loud line almost every page turn. This is some of the best writing I have seen from Spencer. Yeah, so much fun and pays so much attention to Silver Age DC and, like, the wackiness of the Jimmy Olsen Yeah, there's a, there's a line about him getting his brain stuck into the body of a gorilla – and having to wear a sign around his neck that says Bonzo, Intelligent Gorilla. <laughs> uh, you know, the genie thing we mentioned before. It, it's just cranking up the Jack Kirby super crazy uh, riding around Looks on motorcycles yeah, with comic super hippies. Ridiculous story. Uh, you know, fighting dark side. That sort of... I almost said something terrible. <laughs> we can't say that on a clean podcast. <laughs> Bees to the dubs <laughs> style adventure. Uh, Bees to the dub. Yeah. Look, think real hard. Balls to the wall. Huh. <laughs> we can say balls to the wall. Can we? Yeah. It's balls. It's, it's, <laughs> <laughs> balls. We are idiots. <laughs> This is riveting radio. Oh man, I'm really, really award-winning sorry. stuff, folks. <laughs> Moving on, the Jimmy Olsen that you get in the movies and a lot of the modern comics, where he is just kind of a, a nerdy. He's just like a. He's just a problem. Gopher. Yeah, Help he's me, like, Superman. Yeah, super like, awkward. Fetching coffee for Perry White. Don't call me Chief. That whole thing. Yeah. That. That is the aspect of Jimmy Olsen that I like the least. What I love is the Jimmy Olsen getting in crazy adventures. Uh, and Superman does not even need to be around. Well, not to mention Nick Spencer fleshing him out as like a believable character. Yeah. Like this Jimmy Olsen seems like kind of modern day grown up nerd, photographer guy, likes video games, likes sci fi. Happens to be Superman's best friend, you know, and, like, he's cute. Girls like him, but he's just kind of a dork. Sure. And, and very believable. Fun yes. to read. Uh, the art in this book is stunning. Uh, R.B. Silva. Yeah. He reminds me a little bit of the current Power Girl artist, Sammy Bassery. And it might even be the same color as Dave McKaig. It's kind of soft colored. He reminds me a little Cliff Chang. Yeah. Yes. It's that's, definitely there. Like yeah. cartoony, but not overly cartoony. Exactly Very right. classic feel and to it. And the artwork is beautiful. Every uh, page. It does fall down a little bit when Amil Carr steps in to, to help out in the last chapter. Uh, yeah. But it's not enough to really be a problem. My favorite moment of the comic came towards the end. And this is going to be a bit of a spoiler. And I'm sorry, but I have to mention it. Jimmy Olsen is flying a modified 30-year-old news chopper. Into space to an orbiting apartment. To impress Chloe. To rescue Chloe from the arch nemesis. And as he's flying towards the apartment, he is pumping his fists up in the air and singing the John Williams Superman theme song. <laughs> and I laughed so hard I thought I was going to die. There is a, a another nice little slide dig at the current trend of removing Superman from his own books at the end of the thing yeah. where he has to change the video game and it's like, choose your next character, Monel, uh, Alpha Centurion, <laughs> et cetera, et cetera. And then everyone's just like, eh, well, we're done with this. <laughs> but yeah, it was very funny. Speaking of the value, this book is five ninety nine and it is 50% reprints. But it's thick. Yeah. And yes, you may have read it before. It is such high quality storytelling 
art, the whole package, and it is jam packed. And reading it all together, I think it totally works because yes. this isn't going to come out in trade form. This is probably it. So is five ninety nine the best value for a book that's half reprint? Not really, but the quality is so high that you've got to get it. The it, sad part. We're not going to see Nick Spencer writing this kind of stuff at DC anymore. Now, I know. I, I'm happy he's at Marvel, but this was so fresh and fun, and I would love to see like a Teen Titans book like this or something, or even just Jimmy jumping around the DC universe dealing with all the different events and stuff that's happening in people's books. It would be so much fun, and we're not going to get it. Yeah. Uh, you know, if you can't tell, obviously this is a double buy it from both Matt and I. Run out and get this book. It is so good. Absolutely. Thank you so much for not making me read anything icky or naughty this week. You're welcome, DJ. What did you pick? This week I read Godzilla Kingdom of the Monsters number one from IDW, written by Eric Powell and Tracy Marsh, art by our buddy Phil Hester, inks by our other buddy Bruce McCorkendale, and colors by someone we don't know, Rhonda Pattinson, but I'm sure she's nice too. I like to be her buddy. (laughs) Uh, That sounded wrong. uh, Yeah, that sounded... (laughs) I'm sorry, Michelle. (laughs) As my wife knows, on the short list of things that I love, she comes in at number three, right after Porkbelly and Godzilla, and closely followed by Death Metal and Hockey. I've <laughs> been a Godzilla fan as long as I remember loving anything. I remember a local UHF station in Waco, Texas, where I grew up, showing poorly dubbed 1960s Toho Studios giant monster movies every Saturday. This was during my three-year stint in Waco while growing up, but my dad and I never missed one. Uh, I remember begging my mom to give me a dollar so I could buy a stack of the 1970s Godzilla comics from a garage sale years ago, which I still have, by the way. I remember way back in 1995 when Godzilla resurfaced at Dark Horse with covers that are burned into my mind by the amazing Art Adams. Uh, At that time, I was contemplating an Art Adams tattoo of Godzilla, but instead I got the characters for Toho Studios tattooed on my right arm. I've spent thousands of dollars on everything from Shogun Warriors, Godzilla toys, to vinyl Godzilla kits. As you know, I am not a religious man, but I believe in two things. The wisdom of Yoda and the fury of Godzilla. (laughs) I'll go on record as saying, as much as I love my old Godzilla comics, they were terrible. (laughs) They're really bad. They don't hold up. This is a really... With with the obvious exception, Godzilla versus Charles Barkley. Which we know you're a big fan of. Yes. This is a really tricky property to get right, and it's mainly because it isn't the story of a hero or a villain, but it's more the story of a force of nature and man's hopelessness in the shadow of Godzilla. Whoa. Luckily, writer Eric Powell not only agrees with me here, but loves Godzilla as much as I do. it's, It's funny, but if you watched Godzilla trending on Twitter the Wednesday this came out, you wouldn't even know that Powell wrote it because everybody was freaking out about Phil Hester's art, which is it's beautiful, gorgeous here. Uh, I followed Hester on Twitter since he joined, and I remember when he was tweeting about drawing this title because he's been writing other comics like The Darkness and Days Missing and uh, most recently Wonder Woman, but hasn't been drawing much outside of some of like covers for Dynamite's Green Hornet. He kind of hemmed and hawed about penciling again and made it sound like he was having real trouble but if, if he was, it doesn't show here at all. I mean, shut up, Phil. You're nailing it. This is gorgeous. Shut up, Phil. <laughs> Hester's doing some of his best work. His paneling is big and it's cinematic. And, Phil, if you're listening, I want to buy the page where Godzilla gets caught in a nuclear blast because it is perfect. <laughs> Name your price, man. I'm, I'm into it. It's not just Hester Art's art that makes this comic great looking, though. ID, IDW does such a fantastic job putting out a quality comic on really solid paper stock that actually gives their comics heft 
unlike the 22-page leaflets we've been getting from Marvel and DC. This is a big, glossy, sexy-looking comic book. Pattinson's colors and McCorkadale's inks here are both fantastic. And I should say, full disclosure, I've known Bruce for a lot of years, and just he had dinner at the restaurant where I bartend this week, and he gave me some hints as to what's coming in the comic. And I'm not going to go into it because I'm probably not supposed to talk about it. But it's going to be awesome. It's going to be so great. <laughs> if you're a Godzilla nerd like me, I mean... Bruce, we really hope we didn't just get you fired. (laughs) (laughs) And hire this guy. He needs jobs. Bruce, he's really good at what he does. But speaking as a serious Godzilla nerd, you can tell that Hester did a lot of reference work here. He Godzilla looks very much like the modern, big, tough, mean Godzilla from the more recent movies like Godzilla vs. Destroya and uh, Final Wars. Godzilla 1997 starring Matthew Broderick. (laughs) I actually have something in my notes here that says this isn't a watered-down America Godzilla that was bested by a wimpy little Matthew Broderick. This is classic (laughs) Japanese king of the monsters that rises out of the ocean and stomps Japan flat. This is Godzilla the way he should be portrayed, and I can't wait for more. Some people online have complained now that there wasn't enough story here, and I agree it was a very quick read. But Palinmarsh seemed to be setting something up. And we need a big slam bang issue to bring Godzilla back. I don't. I don't want to sit through four issues of exposition before the monster shows up. This issue, page four, Godzilla eats two kids and then proceeds to destroy Japan. I actually okay. felt really bad that those kids got eaten. Hey man, they got in Godzilla's way. That's how it goes. I'm giving Straight this into his mouth. a huge buy. It love this. Uh, you know, I am the complete opposite of Matt. I was not raised on Godzilla. I have z- almost no exposure to Godzilla or any of the movies outside of the Matthew Broderick oh, cinematic God. masterpiece from the late 90s. You have to keep saying it. It was so bad. <laughs> it was so bad. But, I mean, I know Godzilla as the, the cultural icon. I just don't have that kind of history with him. Even I enjoyed this comic. I totally agree. It's Godzilla as a force of nature. There's not a lot of there's not a lot of debate. Where did it come from? Who? Whatever its motivations. No, not important. The monster shows up, starts wrecking crap, and the governments of the world are like, "Oh my God, what do we do? What do we do? What do we do?" It's panic, and it's set in a very modern day sense. Like you, you've got like a Barack Obama looking president being told like, "There's a problem with Godzilla." I mean, yeah. and you know, it's fun. We need to update it. So, yeah, I enjoyed it quite a bit. I give it a buy as well. Yeah, there's a slightly higher price point here, but honestly, if you're spending money on an IDW comic book, as of late, you really can't go All right, that's a double buy it from both of us. With this week's reviews out of the way, that must mean it's time to keep your head and arms inside the ride while Matt and I review 10 comics at speeds that will leave you decapitated if you don't pay attention. You must be at least this tall for the lightning round. I think that's a short joke. Butcher Baker, the righteous maker, number one. I love Joe Casey, and I don't care if he has to take drugs to make comics. So, so many if drugs. If they're this wacky, a lot of nudity in this one. Oh, man. Not going to let my wife catch me reading it, but uh, it was Captain America with raging hormones. Loved it. Bye. Almost too bizarre for words. Skim it. Kick-ass two, number two. Uh... More of the same from Miller and Romita Jr. Uh, Kickass two, uh, Kickass joins his super team, and of course they're a bunch of weirdos, <laughs> uh, mobsters getting terrible things happen to them. Uh, buy it. I'm waiting for this one. Yeah. Halcyon number four. Halcyon is so good. You give Mark Guggenheim like his own sandbox to play in, and you get great stories like this. This is superheroes in a near perfect world trying to figure out what their identities are. 
buy it. Ultimate Comics X, number four. Jeff Loeb on an Ultimate book, and it's not the train wreck you'd expect it to be. Uh, Nobody gets eaten here? (laughs) No. Gorgeous, gorgeous Art Adams artwork. I do not care that this book is so late. Uh, Buy it. Undying Love, number one. Oh, totally unexpected. I loved this. It was really fun. Very cinematic. Um, and I was sold on it in the scene where the guy that's protecting Vampire Girl talks to a fox. It's like it, John Woo and Mike Mignola had a baby. Yes. Buy it. Age of X Universe, number one. Another real clunky title here. <laughs> uh, you know, better than I was expecting. It's kind of the non-mutant side of what's going on in the Age of X Universe. Uh, so you've got the weird versions of the Avengers and the Hulk, etc., etc. Uh, kind of interesting. Don't know if I really need a series about it, even though it's only two issues. Skin it. Black Panther, Man Without Fear, 516. This is the best Marvel book that nobody is reading. I love the Black Panther. It's been kind of hard to trudge through some of his books for a while. I love this book. Uh, Frank Avia, who's drawing it, absolutely gorgeous art. that art. Strong buy. Teen Titans, number 93. J.T. Kroll and Nicola Scott bringing the Teen Titans back from the dark, dark hole that they've been buried in for <laughs> so many years. It's not back up to its previous heights, but they're doing a good job, and it's gorgeous art. I give it a buy. Skim. Scarlet number five. Uh, the best hero story I've read about a terrorist that kills police ever. <laughs> this book is oh, fantastic. Man. We are on a watch list now. For fantastic sure. stuff. Buy it. Detective Comics number 875. Uh, speaking of gorgeous Frank Avia art... Uh, Scott Snyder continues the Commissioner Gordon's Bad Seed <laughs> Sun storyline, uh, and it is uh, amazing stuff. This book, this is probably the best Bat book on the stands. Batman is not even really in it. Uh, buy it. And that was your lightning round, kids. If you want to know more about these books, get on our Facebook page and ask us some questions. Right now, it's time to take a look at the comics we're excited about for the week of Wednesday, April 6th. Joe, what are you looking forward to? Uh, Herc number one from Greg Pak, Fred Van Lanty, and Neil Edwards. I was a huge fan of Incredible Hercules, one of Marvel's most underappreciated books. Yeah. And I was so glad to hear that. It was continuing after Chaos War. I was totally surprised. I thought it was canceled for and sure. Chaos War was great. Yeah. So, Herc number one. I, I'm super stoked. Matt, what about you? Fear Itself. Number yeah. one. Ships this week. All right. Oh, so excited. Matt Fraction. Stuart Immomenen. 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 Immomen. Mammo Man. Uh, Mammo Max. Man. <laughs> Stuart Mammo Max on this one. Love his art. Oh, Fear Itself is going to be so much fun. And I say what you will about event fatigue. I know there's always people on the internet screaming about it. Event fatigue is a stupid phrase. It's a very stupid phrase. But these books sell. And they sell because, for the most part, they're a pretty good time. And this is Matt Fraction's first shot at the big crossover story. And I couldn't be more excited. Yeah, I I, I agree. I agree. It's going to be a great week. You know what that music means. It's time once again for Ask a Nerd, where we answer your deep and thought-provoking comic questions. Or you can just try and stump DJ here who thinks he's so smart because he knows darn near everything about comics. Well, I do. This week's question comes from Sean via our Facebook page. I think this one we could both feel. Sean wants to know, is the thing warm to the touch? I love this question. <laughs> it's kind of perverted, but I love this question. Well, he didn't mean, like, downtown. He <laughs> meant, like, in general. So, okay, we know the thing's made of rock. No. Well, the I guess th- scabs. The thing, <laughs> yeah, he's basic, more, it's more accurate to say that he's super calloused. Yeah. He's like the bottom of, like, a ballet dancer's foot. <laughs> 
<laughs> you know, the more I think about this question, the more I think since the thing is not covered in like tiles, basically like rocks, I think it's possible he might be warm to the touch. I'm saying he's warm. I'm saying and this is going to get really gross, but when you touch like a scab, like a really gnarly scab or even like a callus, it's warm. They're warm. You know, I mean, like there's I mean, there's blood pumping through there's it. blood and guts under there. We've established that the thing bleeds. He's, we've seen him bleed before. Yeah. Yeah. Like Wolverine's cut him. He's bled. He He's wore, got juice inside of him. He wore a silly mask for a while because he had a, three scratches on his face. Real deep ones. <laughs> yeah, they were deep. Uh, I think the two headed nerd definitive stance is the thing is definitely warm to the touch. That's where we're going on this one, Sean. The thing warm to the touch. Thanks asked a nerd for that amazing question. <laughs> As always, uh, if you've got questions, feel free to drop us a line on our Facebook page where you can also ask for some required reading. And remember, if you're looking to stump Dainty Joe, make sure and mark it from you. Matt's eyes only so we can protect his journalistic integrity. <laughs> sort of, sort of, break it, break it down like this. That's it for the Two-Headed Nerd Comicast this week. If two grown men talking about fictional people that wear their underpants on the outside is your idea of a good time. And how could it not be? You can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes where we need your reviews and star ratings. Which we would like into perfectly cooked cheeseburgers that you chew up and then spit into our mouths like a mama bird eating it. As always, you can find all things Two-Headed and Nerdy at TwoHeadedNerd.com. Become a fan of the show on our Facebook page, where you can also submit Ask a Nerd questions, beg us for required reading suggestions, and answer the question of the week. This week's question, how awesome was that Green Lantern footage? Yeah, what do you guys think of the Green Lantern footage? As always, you can follow us on Twitter at TwoHeadedNerd. Or send us an email to TwoHeadedNerd at gmail.com. You can follow my comic speculator blog where I write about comics new and old at worthpoint.com. And follow me on Twitter <laughs> at Matt Bombstein. You can find updates to my webcomic at goodplusonline.com. Follow us on Twitter at goodplusonline. Or follow me at JoePatrick116. So until next time, Jubilevers, this is the Two-Headed Nerd signing off. Adio!